This is The Road We Travel, a production of Drive Smart Virginia. As we continue our series on distracted driving, our guest is Dr. Charlie Clower from the Virginia Tech Transportation Institute. Um, cell phone use is not a teen problem. It is, it is all drivers, all ages problem. That every, We see everyone doing it, um, and it is, it is an epidemic. That's coming up on The Road We Travel. Our guest is Dr. Charlie Clower, and Charlie is a research scientist at the Virginia Tech Transportation Institute in Blacksburg, Virginia. Charlie, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. What does the Virginia Tech Transportation Institute do? Do they specialize in one area of transportation or different areas of transportation? So the Virginia Tech Transportation is the um, one of the largest transportation institutes in the United States. We house the largest group of safety researchers in the world, probably. Um, we're a little over 500 people on payroll, and that includes part-time um, employees and students. But um, we have three buildings here in Blacksburg. Um, where we have um, office space and lab space, and we also um, house three different test tracks where we do a v- wide variety of different transportation research, um, looking at driver distraction issues as well as um, in-vehicle displays and um, driver reaction time to various obstacles and a wide variety of different things. Our smart roads are also very um, capable and able to test connected and automated vehicle technologies. So we've been doing a lot of work in that area. Another area of specialty for VTTI is um, our naturalistic driving studies. And so we have a whole group of folks who are dedicated to developing data acquisition systems. So we can instrument people's private vehicles with these data acquisition systems and we're able, and cameras, and we're basically able to watch people drive on their normal daily commutes, on their way into, to and from work, running errands, and a wide variety of different things. So we're monitoring and watching them drive on actual roadways, interacting with real traffic, and really able to understand the types of things that people do um, when they're trying to get to work, when they're running errands, when they're doing their normal thing, and how those behaviors affect their overall safety. So is this like cameras and microphones in the in the vehicle? That's correct. Do the people maybe adjust their behavior a little bit because they know they're being watched? So you would think so. However, we're, we find that the act of driving is extremely habitual. And so when you get in your car, you kind of do the same thing, your normal, your normal daily thing all, every time. And I know this because I've driven instrumented vehicles, um, my, even, not even my personal vehicle. But I get into an instrumented vehicle, and I know that it's recording, but within minutes, I'm singing to the radio, I'm doing my normal thing as I drive down the road. And, um, and we also see very similar things with other, with other drivers. We also have actually measured this, and so we really look at driving performance over time, and driving performance stabilizes within hours of instrumenting someone's vehicle. They kind of forget it's there. They absolutely do. It's not invisible, but it is not intrusive. These, yeah. these data acquisition systems are, you know, they're, they're not, um, they're not in, in the driver's face by any stretch of the imagination. And since you said the, the drivers are mostly in their own vehicles, their own personal vehicles, yes. so they're That's used correct. to it, uh, you know, it's not foreign to them 
So they're they're pretty much, you know, after a few minutes, they're back in their regular groove, I suppose. What kind of things do you see? What kind of good driving behaviors or bad driving behaviors? So we see a lot of good driving behavior, honestly. That's good. Um, You know, for the most part, you know, people do tend to um, really monitor traffic and, and drive safely. There's a lot of boring, boring driving that we see in these videos. And we don't actually review a whole lot of it. But um, there's a lot of really boring stuff. However, there's a lot of really interesting stuff, too. And um, we do collect data on crashes as well as near crashes. And a near crash is really has all of the characteristics of a crash except there was a successful evasive maneuver. Right. So it's really informative to us as driving researchers, not only – to understand how drivers actually um, mitigate crashes themselves, but what types of activities really help help those drivers to mitigate those crashes. So it's a very, very informative tool for us. But we do see crashes, and we do see the behaviors that drivers are engaging in that lead up to those crashes. And those are extremely powerful for us as well. And a lot of those things, unfortunately, tend to be driver distraction. So we do see a lot of handheld cell phone use. We do see a lot of um, external distractions and um, interacting with um, the center console and a wide variety of other things and just general eyes off road time. And this general, you know, anything that takes the driver's eyes off the forward roadway, we know increases risk of being involved in a crash. Mm-hmm. I've used this example a lot when I talk to people uh, about distracted driving. When I was in high school, and this is how old I am, uh, the radio had two knobs. And I could change the station or adjust the tone on the radio without taking my eyes off the wheel, uh, the uh, road. You just reached over and you, you know, you turn the knob. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of distraction there. But in today's vehicles with infotainment systems and navigation systems and things like that built into the, you know, the, the some of these things have like a computer screen. <laughs> Yeah. There are so many levels of distraction. Are we making the environment in the vehicle easier or more difficult for the driver? By we, I mean, I guess, auto manufacturers or or what the public wants. Yeah. And and that's a really that's a really good question. And it's a tough question to answer. You know, auto manufacturers do try really hard and they work very hard to making making sure that these systems are safe in vehicles. Um, they test them, um, they, they do a lot of work on them, and some are certainly better than others. However, you know, the more touch screen, the more requirement that driver, that it requires the driver's eyes to be off the forward roadway, we do know in, will increase risk to a certain degree. That's a tough thing because consumers want a lot of that, a lot of those capabilities. They want to be able to, um, to have the map, the moving map displays in the vehicles. And a lot of the moving map displays also are very helpful for navigation. Sure. And they're certainly better than, than the driver trying to fumble around with a paper map, right. for sure. Um, and so, you know, those technologies have, have really come a long way, and they've improved safety in a lot of ways. And a lot of vehicles won't allow drivers to actually enter in an address while the vehicle is in motion. And so some of those lockout functions are also very helpful. Um, where drivers aren't able to do a lot of that, um, a lot of that like entry key and typing and and um, really the really visual manual tasks while the vehicle is in motion, and so that's also very helpful. It sounds like the main distraction that that we as drivers have is what we bring into the vehicle with us. 
which is the, the smartphone. Is that fair? Well, certainly when we look at our prevalence um, data and the risk data, yes, that um, the prevalence and is very high for use of wireless devices, and then the risks also follow that. Yeah, I've, I've seen that drawn out on like a four-quadrant graph where different activities are ranked by level of risk and frequency, and you see things like, uh, I don't know, applying makeup or brushing your hair or singing along with the radio or stuff like that, where the risk is all different. But when it comes to doing things like surfing social media or using a cell phone, it's way, way up in both risk and frequency for the average driver is what I've seen. I couldn't tell you who. That's correct. I couldn't tell you who, you know, where I saw that, but uh, that certainly seems to be the problem. Yes. And that's what, that's what our naturalistic studies have shown us is that those are the types of tasks that, again, are, are, and certainly for the younger age groups, and by younger age groups, I mean really under the age of 30, that those drivers are really engaging in those types of tasks very frequently, and that the risks of engaging in those tasks um, significantly increase crash risk. What's your specialty at VTTI? So I'm the lead of the teen risk and injury prevention group here at VTTI. So I have done a lot of research looking at the impact of, um, on adolescent drivers. And we have, run, we have conducted several or a whole series of naturalistic driving studies with adolescent drivers, so novice drivers, so right as they get their learner's permit, and listen, watch them learn to drive, and then also watch them drive independently for the first 12 to 18 months. And we've learned a lot about the risks that face teen drivers in those early moments and those early months and some of the things that we can do to help improve that. We are also working really hard at trying to develop better ways to, mo- to provide monitoring and feedback for parents of adolescent drivers as well as for the, the adolescent drivers themselves. And so are there ways that we can provide additional feedback to adolescents when they are engaging in unsafe behaviors that will help them to improve their driving safety. So, you know, the actual task of learning to drive is is a skill. And it's a skill like learning to play piano or learning to play basketball or a sport of any kind. And it takes practice. And you can't take the learning curve away from this particular task. These teens need practice and they need to learn to drive um, by obtaining that practice, but that's also the really dangerous part. And so if we can figure out a better way to steepen that learning curve, provide better feedback to teens, and allow them to learn to drive more safely, more quickly, we will be ahead of the game. How can technology help teen drivers fix that curve? One of the things that we've, we've, we've looked at extensively is this idea of putting technology in vehicles that provide additional feedback to teen drivers. So um, we know that by providing feedback to teens about hard braking events and hard cornering events, for example, can improve their crash and their crash rates. But when we provide that feedback to teens, we're also providing it to parents. And parents are key in order to really improving teen driving safety when we provide feedback um, to teens on these types of of behaviors. Um, What we're looking at now is other ways to help motivate teens. And so, you know, teens are very, have been playing video games, a lot of them for most of their lives, and they are um, very accustomed to these ideas of um, earning rewards. 
and earning these little, earning um, very, you know, small, tiny little rewards as they, as they um, progress through a video game. Mm-hmm. And so we are, we're looking at ways to um, provide teen driving safety tips um, via cell phone apps, similar to like a video game, but um, ways where um, they can earn points, earn coupons, earn ways to win various um, things, but only when they are driving safely. And so when they are not hard, not exhibiting hard braking events, they're not going above the speed limit, they are wearing their seatbelt, they're not using their phone while driving, all of these different things can help them to keep their eyes on the road, drive more safely, and earn points, win cash, win cash prizes, et cetera, um, to, to help instill this idea of driving more safely. Is that still in the testing stage, or is that something that, that parents could, could look into now? Is that an app that they can download? So there's a wide variety of different apps available. And, I mean, we are running some studies on various types of, this, of, different, um, of different ways to provide feedback, different ways to provide incentives. Um, but parents should definitely, there's plenty of, way, plenty of apps out there right now that do very similar things to this. And, you know, parents can always add incentives to, for their teen. Um, you know, they can, they can look at different apps and if they're, you know, they see that their team is improving or they're getting better scores or they're, you know, they're not, um, the app is saying that they're not engaging in their cell phone while they're driving. Parents can certainly incentivize their teens and get engaged in this way to really, to really help their teen drive more safely. It's interesting that you're using the phone to fix part of the problem, which is the phone. <laughs> that's just, that's a neat twist, you well, know? Well, it is an interesting twist, but the the one aspect to that cell phone is that every teen, well, I wouldn't say every teen, but nearly all teens have them and they do not leave them behind. They're with them all the time. And so they're definitely in the car with the, with the teen when they're driving and these, these phones are extremely capable. They have accelerometers on board. They know how fast they're, that they're traveling. They, they're, tied, they're linked into mapping software. So it's, it's not too difficult for these apps to actually provide additional feedback to the teens. The whole concept of learning to drive is a very interesting one. And I think that parents of you know, children of all ages, this is, this is an important topic. Um, I think that... All parents, no matter how old your child is, they, they watch you, they emulate you, they copy what you do and what they see you doing. And so I think it's really important for parents to be thinking about, you know, when my child is 16 and driving, how do I want them to be driving? Mm-hmm. And if I want them to be copying me. So I think it's important for parents to be thinking about what behaviors they're showing their teen or their driver, their child no matter what age, not teen, but to be really think there's, it's not too early to start thinking about this and to emulate good driving behavior as parents. And that will go a long way when you're teaching your teen to drive and when your teen is actually out there alone and driving independently, that they have seen their parents practicing good driving behavior as well. So not do as I say, not what I do. You've got to, if you're going to talk the talk, you need to walk the walk. Yes. And it will be much easier argument when they've seen you exhibiting these behaviors um, from a very early age. 
Right. You don't get back the, um, but you do it, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that's a really important thing for parents to think about, um, not whether their child is 15 and a half, but much earlier than that. Like when they're you know, I, just dri- when they're young and you're driving around in the car and they're in the car seat, you know, you don't want them to see yes. you fill in with the phone. Con- and Virginia does have a law that goes into effect uh, January 1st, 2021, that will make it illegal to be holding a phone while driving. Hopefully that'll have some influence, you know, some positive and, yes. and reduce that because we talk about teens and their phones, but. I see it all the time on the road. I I don't know whether I'm more aware of it because of what I do for a living, but I certainly see Mm -hmm. every age group, male, female, you know, doesn't seem to be any one group. People leave me stopped at, uh, you know, sitting at the green light, the the light turns green and they'll sit there doing the stoplight prayer, you know, until you honk the horn when the light turns yellow and they're gone and they leave you stuck at the red light. And we also make excuses for our own behavior. We're real good at pointing the finger at the other person, but we'll make an excuse for, well, I, I got to text, let the wife know I'm running late or, or what have you. No, I couldn't agree more, Rich. This this is definitely, um, cell phone use is not a teen problem. It is it is all drivers, all ages problem that every we see everyone doing it. Um, and it is it is an epidemic there. It is ubiquitous and it's an extremely dangerous behavior. And that's why we at VTTI are very excited about the hands-free bill. Um, that it, it, we really hope that um, not only is, will it help enforcement, but that we hope that it really will reduce the amount that we see people driving with their cell phones. Well, that's a successful law. You know, if it's the one that nobody has to write a ticket for because everybody gets it. Mm-hmm. And they, they're invested in it. They're yeah. like, yes, this makes sense. I, but that's not the the society that we live in for unfortunately if people do put their hand their their phone down and they keep their eyes on the road we will have a much safer traffic environment yeah and it's not that you can't use the phone at all although using the phone at all is a distraction you there are bluetooth technology and you know in-car interfaces and things like that that you can have the phone mounted in the vehicle and or console or what have you as long as you're not fiddling with it you can still be using it correct certainly for mapping software you just want to put in your destination before you put the car and drive absolutely what areas of driving and driving safety interest you the most teen driving what you're studying right now or there are other aspects Mm -hmm. that also you find interesting there's a lot of psychology involved in driving which is really funny i mean you wouldn't. You don't think of psychology involved in playing the piano like you used to. But there is. It's just there's so many things going. And also, um, one thing I thought of to ask you about because all these cars coming up, and I'll, I'm not pointing the finger at Tesla, but I'll use them as an example of one particular model that has lots of driver assistance technology. Mm-hmm. And I suspect we're at an area of advancement in that type of technology that's kind of dangerous because drivers I'll use my wife's car as an example she's got a car that has blind spot awareness and cross traffic indicators and all all this stuff and I'll drive Mm -hmm. her car during the weekend and then I get behind the wheel of my older Toyota the uh, the rest of the week and I've gotten lazy 
you know, I have to remind myself, you need to turn your head and check your blind spot, things like that. We can get a little complacent, but also as the technology gets more and more advanced where the car actually kind of makes you think it's driving itself, when it's really not, but it's, you know, we can kind of check out and lose our focus on the task of or monitoring the vehicle because I'm, I'm sure when you buy your new car and, and you know watching it kind of drive itself for the first few weeks is probably pretty cool after a couple of months it's probably pretty boring that's a great topic rich and yes what um, we have been doing several studies looking into how drivers actually behave when the they have engaged um, systems similar to Tesla's autopilot, which are considered level two automation. And so what level two automation is, and for you know the layperson, is really that you don't require steering input or speed or brake input, that the vehicle basically has both longitudinal and lateral control over the vehicle. However, the driver still must remain engaged and must be monitoring the environment for obstacles and other um, other events that may require some sort of a response. So what we are finding when drivers engage with their their L2 systems is that we are seeing increases in both eyes off road time. They tend to look away longer than they would if the system was not engaged. And they also are engaging in other in high risk secondary tasks. Mm -hmm. And I use that term high risk a little bit carefully because we know that those, those secondary tasks are high risk when those systems are not engaged. But we have not been able to assess the risk of those behaviors when L2 systems are engaged. We do know that the driver needs to remain engaged in the driving task. And so anytime they're looking away longer, it, it causes concern for us human factors researchers and safety, driving safety researchers. So we are definitely seeing some a lot of concerning behaviors with these systems active. And, you know, this, you're right, Rich, these, these systems, people believe that the vehicle is probably controlling far more than it really is. And, um, you know, these systems work really well in a lot of cases. However, there's a lot of, a lot of times when they do not work well. And drivers must remain vigilant. Um, and unfortunately, that is one thing that us humans are not very good at is um, remaining vigilant <laughs> in these types of, of cases. So um, I, would, I would strongly recommend to all of our listeners and all the drivers out there with, with these vehicles, these advanced vehicle systems, to please, please remain engaged. Please monitor your environment. Please making sure that your eyes are on the forward roadway because it is critical that you stay there. These vehicles are, are simpler to drive. They're less taxing. They um, definitely don't require as much attention, or you think they don't, but they really do. And, and like I said, we are definitely seeing in our, in our analyses increases in eyes off-road and secondary task engagement. So we are continuing to study this. And, you know, a couple other items or a couple other aspects to this that I think are really critical and um, that we're hoping to dive into a little bit more is actually duration of these tasks. And, you know, anecdotally, I'm seeing really long periods of time where drivers are browsing on their cell phone. Mm -hmm. And by long periods of time, I mean 13, 14 minutes um, while, the, while the vehicle is um, going down the interstate at 66, 68 miles per hour. That sounds so, <clears throat> insane. That's just, <laughs> I, that's so frightening <laughs> to even think about. 
it is it is frightening to think about. But that that's another aspect to this that we we really need to look into. We really need to understand better how dri- what drivers are are willing to do, and um, these systems need to have um, better design, better controls, so that that type of behavior isn't isn't allowed. Is there any technology on the horizon that I don't want to say is the magic bullet because that that's so far away? But anything you see that you see a lot of hope for that maybe will you know, if, if drivers aren't going to be able to focus, that, that this this will help or a warning system or give us some hope, Charlie. <laughs> Tell me something good I, here. I, I do believe that there are some technologies coming that, that will will really help um, help these tech, help automated vehicle technologies work a little bit better and keep the driver more engaged and more in the loop. Um, and a lot of those have to do with driver monitoring systems. You know, if the if that system is also monitoring the driver, um, they it can be more proactive in making sure that the driver is attending and paying attention to the roadway um, versus you know just having a hand on the wheel, for example, which we're finding is not super super useful at, at keeping the driver's attention to the driving task itself. You mean they kind of get in the habit um, of just reaching over and, and squeezing the steering wheel every few minutes to exactly yeah to kind of it's getting around the the whole system. Yeah. We're good at yeah. that stuff. We are. We're very good at kind of circumventing. So I, I, there's definitely, um, there are pathways for improvement out there. There are pathways for, for better technology. And, you know, we are, we here at the Institute at the Virginia Tech Transportation Institute, we are working very hard to figure out better ways to design these systems and to test these systems and make sure that they are safe um, as safe as possible. For the driver, for drivers out there, and where we believe we are making really good progress, so I, I do feel optimistic for our future. And I, you know, I wanted to ask you. I know a lot of your your job is dealing with statistics and research and numbers, and mm-hmm. looking at curves over time. How mm-hmm. does COVID nineteen and the restrictions on travel that we've sort of had to impose on ourselves? How will that affect the data that you have for 2020 compared to other – I mean, is 2020 just always going to have like this huge asterisk next to it because the data is just so messed up? So, I mean, I think hindsight will tell us better, uh, Rich, but I do think that the traffic patterns and um, our just overall rates and mileage, travel mile, mileage this year is very different than it has been in any other year. And um, so, you know, one would have expected that crash rates go down. And I think on some levels, crash rates have gone down, but I'm not, but I've also seen contradictory research showing that fatalities have not gone right. down. Yes. And um, there's a lot of uh, good reasons for that. And they're um, most of which have to do with vehicle speed and overall exposure rates. Mm-hmm. Um, so because there isn't the heavy traffic, vehicles were traveling faster. Um, so we, you know, we're, we're seeing some contradictory results out there, and it's going to take us a little while to tease all of that apart to really understand um, not only the exposure piece, which is a very important component to understanding um, overall crash rates and impact of crash crashes and injuries, but... Um, when you, also, when you say exposure, Charlie, can you be a little more specific what you mean? 
Sure. So what I mean is um, the number of vehicles on the road at any given time, oh. or the number of hours that people are actually driving. Got it. So that that is a really important component to all of this in that, you know, you know, up until 2020, we were seeing, um, you know, slight increases in overall miles traveled, number of vehicles on the roadways. That has just slowly increased over time. And so our roadways um, have been dealing with higher and higher capacities. And then COVID-19 hit. And so 2020 is a little bit different. The number of vehicles on our roadways decreased significantly. Uh, the number of hours people have been behind the wheel have also decreased significantly. And so start trying to tease that apart with the actual frequency of crashes, injuries, and fatalities is going to be an important in, an important um, study, and it's one that is probably going to take us a few years to kind of sort out. Um, but, you know, I have seen data showing that traffic patterns, certainly in the D.C. area, and um, rates of traffic have started to go back up. They haven't reached pre-COVID um, levels yet, but they are increasing. And, and I was actually surprised to see how high, much higher they were compared to last March and April, for example. We're just, I, we're just getting tired of it, maybe. <laughs> yeah. and, I think I think that is part of it. And and figuring out workarounds and, you know, things like that to, to stay safe. Mm -hmm. If you could give drivers one piece of advice, what would it be? Put your cell phone down and keep your eyes on the road. It is so important to just maintain your eyes on the forward roadway um, as much as possible, and every time you take take them away for whatever reason, phone, your child, your child in a car seat behind you, anything, please do it judiciously, because that's 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 when you're going to get surprised, and that's when crashes occur. Yeah, in traffic, it's always when I look away that the person in front of me hits the brakes. Never fails. <laughs> that's always when it happens. It's true. Our guest yes. has been Charlie Clower. She's a research scientist at the Virginia Tech Transportation Institute in Blacksburg, Virginia. And we appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk with us, Charlie. Thanks for the work you do. And thanks, you know, for, for sharing all this information with us. We really do appreciate it. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. Thank you, Rich. Thanks for listening to The Road We Travel, a production of Drive Smart Virginia a 501c3 traffic safety nonprofit based in Richmond, Virginia. Visit our website, drivesmartva.org. And follow us on social media, drivesmartva on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join us next time on The Road We Travel.